Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Christian Nentwich, co-founder and CEO of Duco, a technology company aiming to make managing data easy. Having grown up in Austria with a passion for technology, Christian arrived in the UK age 19 with, as he says, nearly a decade of programming under his belt. After a PhD in computer science, he founded software company SystemWire in 2004. And it was while working in the financial services sector that Christian saw the problem he wanted to solve. As he says, financial services produce huge amounts of data. It's difficult to control and costly to get wrong. One of Duco's clients had a spreadsheet with an incorrect calculation, costing them $3 million every year. Duco, meaning I lead in Latin, of course you knew that, was launched in 2013. The cloud service aims to create a safer, faster way to manage information by replacing spreadsheets and manual work with a user-friendly platform. And clients now include Fidelity, ING, and 14 of the top 30 global banks. My business shape today is Kristen Nentwich, and he is the founder of a business called Duco, mm-hmm. which, as I mentioned, is I lead in Latin. <laughs> Hello, leader. Hello. It's nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Um, you're a doctor. Of sorts. Of yeah. sorts, yes. And for most people, when they think about data and data science and software engineers, they they kind of feel inferior immediately. In your own words, just explain a little bit about what you're qualified to do mm-hmm. and how you ended up how you ended up in this big mess, this wonderful <laughs> business called Duca. <laughs> it's uh the the thing with data, right, is is um it's so abstract for people that it's almost impossible to get across what you actually do, right? So we've we've been we've known this for a while now. So we always have to come up with metaphors and and, and explanations, right? And it's much easier running a business where you're directly doing something to save the planet or, you know, solve a real problem for consumers, right? And we're not like that. But then when you think about what the world economy actually runs on, right, on a daily basis, it's all data, right? And, and there's heaps of it. And I guess the way we stumbled across these problems is a large business like um, a big bank or a big insurance company or, or a huge logistics company or a shipping company, right? These companies look shinier on the outside normally than they are in the in the engine room because keeping that much data under control is is seriously hard. It's a bit like imagine you you've been organizing your life on paper and spreadsheets and every single payment you've ever made for your gas bill or whatever you've kept it all and now there's 70,000 of you and the rooms are stacked and now you go I want to find out about that bill I had in you know in in, in 2016 and it's a horror show. So while these businesses have spent so much money on the sort of their experience for the customers and so on, the truth is in the engine room, there's tens of thousands of people sitting there with highlight pens and spreadsheets trying to sort of do things manually. Now, the question was, you know, why is this happening now, right? This is like technology is way smarter than this now. Why is this necessary, right? We're doing real-time face detection in videos for consumers why are we sitting there with high pens and spreadsheets? And so we wanted to just solve this in a very different way using like machine learning and completely new types of um, algorithms and so on. Right? Which makes perfect sense. I, there, was a, there was a book I never wrote, Christian. It was called Dead Paper. <laughs> and I lived in India many years ago and I used to go into these amazing rooms full of paper. 
Yeah. And I had this whole idea that inside every piece of paper there was a story about someone's life. And it is a good idea. But of course, like, you know, but I haven't written it. So we're here, we're talking about it, but you just you just reminded me. And your interest in all of this, because what you just described makes the complicated sound very simple. Your interest as a young person in developing mm -hmm. a set of skills, where did that come from? Why was technology? Why was data? Why was the world of programming interesting to you? What piqued your interest at a young age? Well, I, I, I was inspired initially by my father, I think, who's sort of one of these early adopters of, uh, of computers, right? So we built our PCs together and we sort of, I still remember I was at the time people were publishing magazines still with source code in them. So it was just copying game source code and, you know, implementing, you know, a version of Space Invaders or something like that. And you're just like literally just copying down what's written there, but you sort of learn as you, as you do. And I was doing some games programming and... And then, you know, over time, I actually found out I quite like solving problems with this stuff, right? So my first summer jobs were sort of writing billing systems for <laughs> credit card companies. You had and, a crazy childhood, Christian. <laughs> yeah, slightly. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and then I ended up, you know, here, um, eventually studying, studying this in a bit more detail. Right? The PhD in, in computer science, yeah. after your first degree, you, I imagine, were in heaven i mean is that you know when you study when people look at the names like computer science and they think he's doing a doctorate they would imagine they wouldn't understand the thing just again for the uninitiated what does computer science look like at that level what is it that you're actually trying to get to grips with mm, well computer science is a big field that has many different areas right so um you know everything from computer graphics virtual reality human computer interaction theoretical stuff which is basically just maths all the way to, you know, say software engineering. I, I was in soft, what they called uh, software systems engineering at the time, which is the sort of the study of how big complex software systems work because you know, complex software systems are some of, well, probably the hardest thing that humanity has ever created is complex software systems, right? And, is, and why is that? Why are they so complex? They're very large. Uh, they have a lot of interdependencies and there's no way to guarantee that they will work, which is why you see bugs in software, right? And we actually still don't understand how to write software in, in many ways, right? We're getting better and better, but we still produce buggy software and mm. software that falls over and things like that. And so this field is sort of, how, how can we get a little bit better at this and control it a little bit better, right? You know when people do their jobs, they look at how they can improve what they're doing. And yeah. if you're a if you're a scientist of some sort, it's trial and error. A lot mm -hmm. of this is, especially we've just seen it over the last few years with the vaccine, you just keep going until you get better results. Is software creation similar? Is it incredibly iterative? It's it's much it's definitely not a science, right? It's a craft, right? If you're gonna become a programmer, it's a craft, right? It's sort of like you you almost need to just do it, do lots of it, you get better at it. And you probably have somebody who's more experienced than you who sort of sits next to you at master level and makes sure you don't screw up, right? That's sort of how, that's sort of how it goes with that, yeah. And transitioning from, from the world of academia, because again, you do a, you do a doctorate, you're, you're, you're pretty seriously interested in, in an area. And as you said, there was a wide area and you focused on, on the software. You very quickly worked out in your own head that you weren't going to work for anyone else. And then it was just a question of how fast you could get there. That's my impression of the things I've read about you. Firstly, is that true? And secondly, why? I was 100% sure I was going to do research, right? Okay. So I still remember I was going to do computer graphics and like do game stuff. And I thought that was really cool. And then I talked to Anthony Finkelstein, who was my PhD supervisor. And he said, that's all nice and well and sexy stuff. But why don't we talk about some real world things and you work on that. So I let him convince me to do what I did. And I was going to get into research. 
But after a few years of the program, I think the reality of what it's actually like to be a professional researcher really hit me. And for me, that environment is, isn't right, right? So it was too slow moving for me, right? So I, I, I had to get out. But luckily, we decided to set up a company together. And right? so um, that's, that's how we moved on. And that setting up the company and then all the different things that come with setting up a business and then running a business, all the other stuff, Christian, the bits mm -hmm. of your brain that you don't need for software, clever software stuff. How has that been? If you can go back to when you first were in that business, was it a bit of a shock or was it, okay, it was just another problem to solve? I mean, over the years, right, but when you build a company, you have to learn a lot about yourself, I think, and you have to fundamentally change as a person. That didn't happen so much in the first company, more, more in the second company, but you then find out quite a lot about yourself, right? So who's going to sell the stuff, right? Do you like selling, right? Do you like speaking at conferences? Are you a product person, right? And so I learned that I really like selling, right? Which, if you're going to build a business that sells software, for hundreds of thousands or, or millions of dollars a year, because that's the sort of stuff we're talking about here, right? You better like selling, right? If you're the CEO, otherwise you can't delegate that early on, right? So that that was a big revelation for me, right? And um, that's never changed. I still really like selling, so yeah. Stay with me to find out much more about Christian Nemwich and what he has discovered about himself and, and what is important in terms of making sure a business is successful. Much more coming up from him in a couple of minutes. Right now, they're beginning a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Mishcon directs Tom Grogan and Alistair Moore discuss artificial intelligence and machine learning, their possible application and the key things for organizations to consider when seeking to implement them. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How are we seeing organisations leverage their data and how can we help them? So AI, you know, the umbrella term artificial intelligence has been on the radar for most companies across all industries, but it's difficult for you to know exactly where to start. You often need help navigating the different technologies while having the confidence that they're going to maintain their legal and regulatory compliance. Uh, you know, and upholding your company's digital ethics in some sense. You know, when I teach uh, technology on the master's or the MBA program at UCL School of Management, I start by getting managers and executives to break the problem down. You know, what are the inputs? What are the outputs? What data are you trying to collect? Where is it stored? One of the main management challenges is starting to think about these systems probabilistically. How wrong could the answer be? How frequently could you get the answer wrong? But still, on average, it provides utility. Most management education isn't really geared to this. And so starting to be able to think creatively is often useful in trying to identify where machine learning opportunities lie within your business. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can hear all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again with Christian if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, it's intelligent. You just have to ask it to play Jazz Shapers and you'll be greeted with a taster of our recent shows. But back to today and my eminent guest, Dr. No Less, Christian Nenwich, co-founder and CEO of Duco, a technology company aiming to make managing data easy. So I love this, the, the thing you said about you find out things about yourself. And luckily, mm -hmm. you found out that A, selling is important, which you knew, but B, you're good at it. What did you discover you were less good at? And what have you done to address that since you set the business up nine years ago? Yeah, well, so selling I like, 
people's stuff I like, dealing with people, motivating people, leading people. Anything operational, I enjoy a lot less, right? So, you know, there's this sort of thing, what, what are the activities that give you energy and what are the ones that suck your energy away, right? And luckily, when a business gets big enough, you can just hire a great exec team to... There's always somebody who loves the things you hate, right? <laughs> Somehow, right? There's some people just love being the operator all day long and, and not being out, you know, outdoors, you know, pitching. And you just get a good team together, I think, right? And those people that you found, uh, mm. how many people are in the business now? Actually, I should ask. Uh, about 180 at the moment, yeah. Okay. And your operational team, you've obviously got strong views, I imagine, Christian. So when you, even if you don't like doing it, you're going to have a point of view about philosophical approach or implementation issues. Is that a relatively easy thing to manage, though? Because the implementer says, well, okay, well, that's a really good point, didn't know, and they crack on. Or are there points where even though it's something you hate, you secretly think you could do it better? I've never had a delegation issue in, in in a way, right? So I I think it's really important to focus on outcomes and not tell people how they should do things, but what the result should be, right? And we agree the result and you go off and you do it, right? Yes, sure. I mean, there's some core things that you, like, for example, your, the values of your organization and what is okay to do and what is not, how, you know, how are things done around here? So those need to be agreed, right? And, and those need to be enforced without compromise. But mostly for me, it's about setting people outcomes and letting them go about things. Right? In the nine years that you've been developing this business, have you, um, apart from learning about yourself, have you noticed a tangible difference in the way that businesses understand the problem? Because often when you come and you look at total addressable markets and mm -hmm. the issues in businesses, you, the entrepreneur, are often ahead of the market and you have to persuade the market this is the issue. And yeah, yeah. Where are we now? It feels like things have shifted quite a lot over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the technology cycle is just incredibly fast, right? So, I mean, we sort of went out there in 2013 and we said, we said to a whole bunch of banks, you know, you're going to send us all your data in the cloud, right? Send it all over and, and we'll check it for you. And in 2013, that was slightly absurd. We actually were in this accelerator where you had to pitch to get in and we pitched 14 banks and we said, we're going to do this in the cloud. They, said, they all said, you're going to fail. We said, well, respectfully, we'll do it anyway, right? And they let us in, right, into the accelerator anyway. And now, fast forward, right, everything's in the cloud, right? So, you know, I think most people are still trying to figure out what exactly the cloud is, but, uh, but everything is in the cloud. Things have changed fundamentally, right? Also, machine learning, you know, these, these things are more accepted now, right? Can we trust computers to make decisions for us? You know, I think we're starting to, we're starting to trust them a little bit, right, to to make decisions for us. So I, I think a lot has changed over that time frame. Trust is a really important mm -hmm. word because obviously, as you said, back then, and I remember the businesses that I've met at the time, the cloud was anathema because it wasn't safe. Yeah. People didn't trust that the data would be secure over there. The trust that people have put in you since accepting the idea to go on, you know, your business to go into the accelerator, lots of funding over the years, you're a well-funded a well mm -hmm. business. How do you maintain that trust with the people that are investing in you? And how do you maintain that trust with your clients as, as the technology landscape evolves? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a bit different with the two of them, I guess, right? With the clients, interestingly, the more, the bigger you get and the more you sign up large companies, the more people just want to know who else is using it, right? So, you know, you sort of get the trust from saying, look at all these other big companies that use us, right? We're the safe choice, right? Um, and that's the difference between running an early stage business and a late stage business. So early stage is sort of, look at our cool new tech and algorithms. And late stage, nobody wants to hear that. They want to know that they're not going to get fired if they buy your stuff. Right? And so uh, I think we got there. 
with investors, I mean, for everybody approaches that differently. For me, it's complete transparency on the good things and the bad, because there's a lot of bad and a lot of good that happens in, in a growing company. It's one of your values as well, no spin. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially with a board of directors or, you know, no spin, right? It's like tell the truth always, right? And like relentless commitment and hustle at all times, right? So that people know you're going to work day and night to, to make the thing a success, right? Are you still um, as close to the product as you were in the early days? I mean emotionally, I don't mean... Emotionally? Yeah. Yeah, emotionally, yes, I think so, right? I, I you know, and I know that because when it's not working, it's, it's painful to me, right? <laughs> so if we go down or if, if we have... You know, if a client has a problem because we, we haven't quite got a release right or something, that's painful to me. And I will investigate what's going on. Right? I um, will investigate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You should see his face. He's, he's smiling in a sort of wicked way. Um, you don't want to be investigated by Christian Nemwich. He's my business shape for today. And he'll be back um, along with some New Orleans blues from Professor Longhair. So don't go anywhere. That's all coming up in just a moment here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Professor Longhair, possibly the best name ever, with Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Kristen Nemwich, the other great name today, obviously. Uh, he's my business shaper just for a few more minutes. He's the co-founder and CEO of Duco, and you've been hearing, I hope, unveiling what it really means to manage data and think about it in a simple way, which is messy in the mm -hmm. engine room and you make it clean. The people in your business, and you've talked about 180, 180 mm -hmm. people or so, you look relaxed to me, which means something's working. Of course, you're not relaxed. He's now raising his eyebrows going, where's this going? Um, the, the ability for these other people in the business to really be invested, sometimes mm -hmm. that can go get smaller as the business gets bigger because they feel less part of things. But it feels to me that the business is actually growing because people are really taking responsibility. Yeah. How, have you, how have you managed to inculcate that sense of care and that sense of ownership? That sort of thing always feels to me like like any human relationship could be a private relationship or, or a business. This does not happen without a lot of work, right? It's all conscious effort, right? To creating a culture, talking about it, creating a sense of responsibility, agreeing what sort of people we're going to hire into the business and what sort of people we're not going to hire into the business. And having people around that care as much as you do relaxes you a lot, right? Because you know they're going to be there when you're on the ground somewhere or you're asleep or, you know, I think that's, it's really empowering for everybody actually, right? Everybody feels a little safer um, in, in, a, in an environment like that. Your own view of where you're at now, nine years in, obviously things are going well. Mm -hmm. Is there a lot of a runway still? Is this business going to change fundamentally or is it just going to get bigger? It will change quite a bit in the next few years, right? So we are... In a bigger growth phase, we're going to be probably seven, eight hundred people in you know three to four years' time. You know, we are not going to just grow by doing things ourselves anymore. We, you know, we will likely acquire some other businesses and, and integrate them, and that's exciting, right? I mean, I think everybody's really excited about that. But that has consequences, and it will change the business. And we have to make sure it doesn't change it in a bad way, right? That's yeah. We're going to be very focused on that. And are you nervous about something like that, Christian? Again, I'm just, just thinking about the way your life has gone and how successful you've been over the years. Do you get scared about stuff where there's going to be significant change or is that what is that what actually gives you the energy? I get very scared if there's no change 
like I have zero, I get don't get scared by any of that stuff at all, right? If the thing was going sideways, I'd be very concerned, right? So I guess it's a sort of a natural environment where your risk appetite is going to be high if you're doing the sort of things I've been doing in my life, right? So, so no, that doesn't make me nervous. I think sideways or shrinking, that would be very hard for me, right? So expect more change from Duco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Buckle up. There's going to be a, the ride's going to continue. <laughs> it's been really lovely chatting to you. Thank you. And thank, thank you. you for helping um, me and many other people at least get a simple grasp of what ostensibly looks pretty complicated. And, of course, under the bonnet, I know it is complicated, but we won't go into the algorithms and the various nope. other things because that, be, that would go into a, a rabbit warren very, very quickly. Just before I let you go, um, I know you're a, a, a keen musician, a keen pianist, and um, I know that ideally we may have been looking at a classical piece right now <laughs> and a beautiful Chopin. But without Chopin, instead of Chopin, what is your song choice and, and why have you chosen it? So I picked uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins. I put a spell on you. And the reason I like that song is I really like people who have the guts to express themselves fully, right? And if you just listen to what's going on in that song and you look up the video, that guy gets it done for sure, right? So <laughs> that's why I like that song. Screaming Jay Hawkins there with I Put a Spell on You, the song choice of my business shaper today, Christian Nentwich. He talked about the journey he's been on in terms of learning about himself. And he said of himself, I like selling. Very important in a software company. He talks about how he's managed to grow a team of people into a team of people that really care, that are really invested in the business and it enables him to sleep at night. And he's done that by focusing on outcomes rather than telling people exactly what he wanted them to do, which I think is a really good and simple thought. And finally, he talks about the importance of relentless commitment and hustle. Doesn't matter how big or small you are, that is what it takes to be really successful. Great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.